four leadership trends to watch in 2023. Time for another article reaction. Bonus episode. Let's do it. Welcome to the Internal Customer Handbook, a work culture podcast for people who lead people. This unpublished book turned podcast is for people leaders who want to create 21st century work cultures that look nothing like, but this is how we've always done it. I am your host, Wendy Conrad, work culture strategist and founder of Your Happy Workplace. And if you are wondering if why and how ethical leadership and business can coexist, then you are in the right place. So glad you're here. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, hello, and welcome to another bonus episode of the Internal Customer Handbook Podcast. I am your host, Wendy Conrad, and today, Today's bonus episode was inspired by a Fast Company article that was shared by my friend Jessica. Hey, Jessica, on LinkedIn. And the title of that article is called Four Leadership Trends to Watch in 2023. And the first two trends, I'm kind of, kind of, going to do a roasting of sorts while the second two trends I'll kind of do a little silent clapping for. So let's get to it. So the first trend says your workplace is on the hook for well-being. So while workplace well-being is trendy now, I would argue that it has always been the employer's responsibility. And I'm going to read a quote here from the article, quote, No longer will it be enough for companies to reimburse gym memberships, offer access to financial advisors, or encourage the use of mindfulness apps. Now, organizations are also responsible for taking care of the physical and mental well-being of their employees, end quote. Now, this... I would argue, has always been the case. It's just that now more people are talking about it. And this kind of has a vibe of not only do you want a gym membership, but now you also want to be treated like like a human being at work? Jesus. So I want to clarify, I'm not knocking the author of this specific article per se, because these articles are everywhere out there. I've been reading them for the past few years. I'm roasting the system that told us that the well-being of our team members was not our problem in the first place, and that people who work for us that are wanting this kind of environment are being unreasonable. That's what I'm calling out here. So if you're just going to consider and think about workplace well-being now because it's trending, that's the problem. If we're just considering it now because of stats and profit loss, turnover, that's the problem. And to be fair, capitalism has taught us how to be leaders and the model ain't pretty. We haven't been shown another way and or humane leadership has been marketed to us as, quote, weak leadership. I'm going to read another um, sentence here from the article, quote, 
For companies to succeed, they'll need an agile framework that gives people a clear roadmap of choices that they can make to eliminate workplace toxicity, end quote. Now, okay, let's talk a little bit about language here. And I've, I've got inspired to maybe do a mini-series about the language we use when we're talking about our workplaces. And I still may, I'm, I'm going to do it. It's just a matter of when. So here, I, I saw a post on LinkedIn a while back by Kim Crowder about not using the word toxic to describe our workplaces, but instead use the word abusive. Not toxic workplaces, abusive workplaces. So this phrase that they're using here, eliminate workplace toxicity, kind of makes it sound like the walls are infested with mold and you have to hire a company to come in with those hazmat suits to spray the office down to eliminate the toxicity. But when you say workplace abuse, that shifts the accountability. Toxicity is in the air. It exists without someone putting it there. But when you say abuse, see how that feels different? Right about now, you might be having a reaction to the word abuse especially if you are in a leadership position at work. You might be thinking, well, Wendy, I'm not an abuser. One of the definitions of abuse is to treat a person with cruelty, especially regularly or repeatedly. Is overworking the team cruel? Is expecting them to be available always cruel? Is upholding burnout culture in our workplaces cruel? Is punishing your most valuable people with more work cruel? Is valuing profits over people cruel? So, it's a good idea for us to ask ourselves where we might be causing harm in our workplaces, regardless of what the intention is. And if you aren't sure, ask your team. And if that's a conversation that might be too uncomfortable for you, hire someone to ask them for you. Yourhappyworkplace.com. <laughs> As leaders, it's long overdue that we take accountability and responsibility for the shit that goes on behind office doors or in our online workplaces and stop passing the buck and start caring about what kind of experiences our team members are having working with us. Our workplaces do not have to exist like this, and they should not. The next workplace trend 
I'm going to point to that they talk about in the article, and this section in the article is, is titled, It's Time to Focus on a New Kind of Safety. Psychological safety is nothing new. It's, it's been talked about for years, and from what I've read and researched, it was a phrase first coin, coined in 1999, 24 years, coming up on 24 years ago for context by Harvard's Amy Edmondson in a journal article exploring the relationship between team learning and performance and psychological safety. And if you're not familiar with the term psychological safety, it means an absence of interpersonal fear. So your team feels like they can speak up, they can have different opinions, they can be critical thinkers, etc. But the bar is so low that reminding leaders that making sure your team feels safe to speak up at work is applauded. Like, roll out the red car carpet that our team isn't afraid of us. Capitalism has taught us that when we are the boss, no one gets to disagree. Ruling with fear is good, if you have obedient and productive workers. This is part of one of the many manipulations that leadership or what being the boss engages in that excludes humanity from our workplaces. Like if we are patting ourselves on the back because we don't let our employees sit in the dark, like, the example you'll read in this article talks about, then we've all got a lot of work to do. With respect to psychological safety, I also want to add here that what is required for example, a white man in your workplace to feel safe is going to be totally different from what a black woman might need. To feel safe. And also that what one black woman in your workplace needs to feel psychologically safe can differ from what another black woman in your workplace on your team might need. So there are no cookie cutter ways to create and maintain psychological safety in the workplace. It is a practice that is unique to your team. And it's a practice that will and should evolve over time. So the next couple of trends that this article speaks to, the first one says, don't just respect differences, design for them. This is something I will say may be a new concept with respect to leadership. Not only do we not design for differences, we expect everyone to be and think the same. We don't take into consideration other people's situations or life experiences or past workplace trauma or other kinds of trauma or abilities. And we don't acknowledge that our team members might think differently than us. We don't understand it and we certainly don't encourage it. This brings to mind a, a story, story time, um, from past workplace where um, the holiday party was going to be on a cruise 
And the CEO kind of had an attitude of, you know, don't be so ungrateful for the people who did not want to go on the cruise. Like now they have to find childcare or maybe some people don't like cruises because they get seasick or, you know, now we're going on a cruise, but now that means I'm going to have to spend money because either I have to hire childcare or I have to, you know, pay for extras on the boat or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. So capitalism has given us a factory framework for our workplaces, meaning everyone must have the same boundaries and work the same and be motivated by the same things and have the same work hours, et cetera, et cetera. And that's just not the case. Now, the article speaks to neurodiversity specifically in this section, but this goes far beyond just how our brains work. We're talking about differences in race, differences in abilities, differences in education and accessibility. All of these things affect our life experience and how we're going to show up for work. So this is where leadership takes effort. And that's why I think some of these things get some pushback because they take effort. So ask questions, make accommodations where you can, bring humanity into your leadership practice. So check-in time, if you are having a reaction to any of the things that I'm talking about here, then ask yourself what your relationship to power is and really sit with that answer. Because respect is a two-way street. It's really time that we view each other not just as team members who produce things so we can make money, but also fellow human beings. So yes, don't just respect differences designed for them, and I would add, Don't just design for them, but welcome them. Invite them into your workplace. Seek differences out. So the next section of the article, which I will give a little hand clap to, is titled, We Are All Still in Recovery. It is not business as usual. So kudos to the writer of this article for recognizing that. We have all just gone through several years of collective and repeated trauma from the pandemic, an increase in the awareness of police brutality, mass shootings, war, political chaos, the insurrection at the Capitol, and the list goes on and on. And the article says, quote, This has exacerbated burnout, challenges in accessing mental health, and prompted many people to reevaluate what's important in their lives. The article goes on to say, quote, what this means in the workplace is that we all must understand how our needs as leaders, employees, and humans may be different in a post-traumatic context. 
what may be a reaction to a relatively recent event could be entirely different than a reaction to repeated or extended trauma. Super important. Now listen to this sentence, y'all. Quote, it's critical for companies to understand how to address various types of trauma and devote adequate resources to it. Address the trauma and devote adequate resources to it. This kind of overlaps with our responsibility as leaders to the physical and mental well-being of people that we work with. So I would say that three out of these four things should not be viewed as trends, but as things that should be incorporated into our workplaces and leadership practices from here on out if we're not already doing so. And to clarify, those three things are design for differences and seek them out, psychological safety in our workplaces, and not just considering your team's well-being, but taking responsibility for it and taking an active part in it. And I would also add taking accountability for not the toxicity, but the abuse that exists in our workplaces. So what happens when these aren't trending anymore? Will we stop doing them? I sure hope not. I'm going to wrap things up there. This has been a bonus episode article reaction of the Internal Customer Handbook Podcast. I've been your host, Wendy Conrad, saying thanks for listening and bye for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Internal Customer Handbook Podcast. Please subscribe and share with friends. Want to send an email for the mailbag segment? I'd love to answer your work culture questions or hear your bad boss or toxic workplace stories to be shared right here on the podcast. Email me at wendy at yourhappyworkplace.com. Want to support the podcast and my work? Contribute at throwconfettiatme.com. Yes, you heard that right. Throwconfettiatme.com. It's an actual website. My dog agrees. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.